0: what's good you're listening to the dap project i am rhonda elizabeth your co-host
1: and this is your co-host aaron Stallworth. the dap project is a podcast that explores culture and politics through dap the black man's most nuanced and telling gesture
0: this season we are very curious about resilience how do you recover from a setback and stay motivated we are talking with people mostly brothers about what they hope for, and how they bounce back when the plan goes way left.
1: Our guest today is Jonathan Tate. Jonathan is a native Washingtonian, second-generation firefighter, founder, and executive director of Food on the Stove. Motivated by his journey to healthy eating, he founded Food on the Stove to provide tools, resources, and actual delicious meals to teach firefighters health and wellness. He is also known to post hilarious photos and captions of his two children on Facebook. Definitely a kindred spirit of mine, because posting pics of the kids is the dad flex for our generation.
0: Your kid pics are adorable. I have known Jonathan for several years through our church communities, and you, dear listener, will hear about his faith journey in this conversation. I'm so delighted to support Food on the Stove by creating a space for him to tell his story. Let's do it.
1: All right. All right. We want to officially welcome brother, Mr. Washingtonian Jonathan Tate to the DAP project. Hello. hello,
2: How y'all doing today? Chilling.
1: Chilling. Doing good, brother. So we always jump right into our first question. What was your first experience with DAP?
2: In our culture, that's one of the first things you learn. Like, give me some DAP. Give me some DAP. And it's either a fist bump, it's a five, and then just over the course of time, it's how we greet one another. So I think the first time I can remember, probably about four years old, maybe four or five years old, and hearing my uncle saying, man, give me some dap. what's up, what's up, give me some that. And uh, that just being our greeting to one another, whether it's it starting with just a pound to now what we see is a handshake with a hug in between or something like that. Um, more so now, we're going back to the, so the original that with COVID and everything like that was just a fist bump. But probably when I was a young boy, I got introduced to that. Probably like four or five years old from my uncle.
1: Yeah. Did it become something you look forward to or was just like, oh, I got to go deaf with my uncles now? Or
2: I think anytime you get a chance to greet somebody that you love, uh, it's always a, a great feeling. So, of course, I, I, I love my family. I love my uncles. I love my, um, my family and friends. So anytime I get an opportunity to uh, be around them or be with them and greet them it's always it's always joy yeah,
1: yeah. can you think of the most meaningful depth that you received and who it was from i know you're referencing your uncles but it, it throw some names out there it throw a particular person maybe it wasn't a family member maybe it was a teacher or a preacher or somebody but can you think of that moment where it's like oh, that felt man. a little bit more special than the than the regular depth i'd normally give where that meant a little bit more
2: oh, meaningful dot man um Um, But if I'm thinking about somebody memorable, when I became a firefighter, uh, probably the fire chief, uh, because he was a man of high stature. So to be able to shake his hand and him know who I was, uh, it gave me a sense of um, that I may have arrived or maybe known. And it really wasn't because of anything I did. It was really because of uh, the last name that I had, which is Tate. my father, carried my father's last name. And uh, he knew who I was due to who my father was. So that was a, a great feeling.
1: Fellow black man, the, the fire chief at the time?
2: Yeah, at the time, fellow black man. Okay. Um, and when he first came onto the job, my father was a fire chief. So um, and I, uh, I'm sure we'll get into that somewhere through this conversation. But I think that was meaningful for me at the time.
1: Yeah. So as Rhonda kind of mentioned uh, in our intro or, or when we were talking earlier, the theme is resilience. Um, We think about resilience as having three elements. You have hope, you have setbacks that we all encounter, and you have recovery, uh, finding yourself getting through those setbacks. Uh, When you think of resilience, what comes to mind? Or how do you think about
2: it? Well, over the years, my definition or my thought of resilience has been, has changed a little bit. Even up until probably maybe a year or two ago, I used to feel like how, it was about how much I could push through, right? Um, but I'm, I like to refer to myself as a disciple of Christ. So it's more so now about trusting in him. Uh, I do what I can and then leave the rest up to him. So before I used to look at it, I had it was about all that I can put into it and how, much hard, how hard I had to work and what I was able to accomplish in my, my own strength. Uh, but now resilience to me is about really being able to trust in the Lord, um, believe in what he has shown me and the vision he has given me, And allowing um, him to see me through on it um, and not try to accomplish so much in my own power.
0: I plan to ask you this a little bit later, but because it's come up at this point, I'm curious about your faith journey. If you would speak a little bit about when you made that transition from relying on yourself to relying on the Lord and giving your burden over to you over to him Mm -hmm. and by way of context and for you and for the folks who are going to be listening Jonathan and I met at church and so I have a pretty good understanding of your experience at First Baptist of Glenarden, but perhaps there are other meaningful experiences before them that influenced your path.
2: Yeah so um, I think one of the great things that my parents did for me was whether they sent me to church or took me to church when I was young, it gave me that foundation. But of course, um, your parents can't accept Christ for you, right? You have to do, that's something that you have to do on your own. So I went to church for a long time, but I wasn't necessarily saved. I didn't necessarily believe I had this idea of good attendance at church. And then once my father passed, when I was 15, I kind of strayed away. I did my own thing, Um, you know, running the streets and just living my own life and, Uh, And then once I kind of, I'm not gonna say hit rock bottom, but once I came to a point in my life where um, I had done probably all that I can do, uh, God called me back unto him. And uh, it it was about going to church and it was about doing the right things and things like that. But now, uh, and, and what he's called me to do through food on the stove is more about my relationship with him more so than anything. Um, so I think my faith journey has grown over time. It's It started out about as going to church and now it's more so about seeking him on my own. Uh, and, and also still going to church, still not forsaking the fellowship of the saints and still uh, having that time of fellowship, but really it's about, to get, uh, about getting to know him more and about me growing in him.
1: Can you tell us about a time when you had to demonstrate uh, true resilience?
2: Um, becoming, becoming a firefighter for me. Uh, I became a firefighter nine years ago. It was a tough process. My father was a, a fire chief in D.C., came on in 1956 and retired in 1989. So um, in 2012, I decided to become a firefighter. I had waited five years for the job. And I had no clue, even though my father was a firefighter, I had no clue of what being a firefighter meant or what I had to do to become a firefighter. And I even had family that was on a job at the time, time, but um, joining, going into the fire academy and just the pressure of not knowing whether I was gonna pass or not, running into a burning building for training, um, just the unknown, not knowing if I was gonna be able to accomplish this goal. And then I was putting so much pressure on myself because I felt like who was I if I couldn't you know, follow in my father's footsteps? Does that give him a bad name? What does that make me out to be? So I put a lot of pressure on myself, but in that process I realized that th- though I came through it and though um, I'm now a firefighter, I realized that God has me on my own journey. Um, and, and I'm appreciative of that. And that's one thing that I learned that uh, pressing through studying every day And um, just seeing my way through it and not giving up was huge for me. And it wasn't so much about my father's journey. I think that set me up, but it was about God doing a new thing in me now. So uh, that was good. That was a good process. That was a tough process for me, but we made it through.
0: We wanted to ask a little bit more about how your dad's career as a firefighter inspire you to choose the same career path for yourself was there something that you saw in him or in his work that led you to say I'd like to walk this path as well
2: um yeah so for me it was a little bit different than a lot of my colleagues or counterparts some people grow up wanting to be a firefighter their whole life that wasn't necessarily my my um, that wasn't my story uh, I didn't really, I was grew up around it. My dad was a fire chief. You look at my house when I was growing up it's fire department stuff everywhere. Um, And he had a, he played a vital role in community engagement in the fire service. Um, And it's funny that I get an opportunity to do the same thing now. Um, But it, it was really about provision. It was about how I saw how he was able to provide for my family and I As I was growing up, Um, I grew up fortunate. My dad's a fire chief. Fire chiefs make good money in Washington, D.C. And I was probably a lot better off than a lot of my friends that I grew up with, because back then in the 80s, uh, it was unheard of for a black man to be making that type of money unless you were selling drugs. So occasionally when I went to uh, elementary school, people thought my father was a drug dealer before he before they knew him, before they got to know him. Um, and my father used to always say at that time when he came on the fire department it was only three jobs that a black man or three career three careers that a black man can get it was either police officer um, firefighter or post or postal worker Um, and he chose to be a firefighter before that he drove a cab and worked at a bakery so i came to a point where i didn't have a college degree Um, i was at a job i was a party promoter i was making some money but i came to a point where um, God had just kind of called me out of that um, and called me into something else. So I had to find out what was I going to do? What kind of career path could I take? And my eyes were set on the fire department because I saw how he was able to provide for us. Um, now, typically that might be frowned upon because uh, a, fire, a firefighter is a job that you have to want to do. Um, it's not just about can you do it? It's about. Do you want to do it? You have to want to serve people. You have to run into a burning building that ev- not just everybody, but everything is running out of. It was really, I was driven by provision. There wasn't a lot of opportunities for me without a college degree where I could be able to climb the ladder, I should say. Because uh, my father started off as a firefighter and went all the way up to fire chief. That, it's not too many careers you'll be able to do that, to go from making, I think at his time maybe eight four dollars an hour to at the end of his career, making $140,000 a year in 1989 or $120,000 a year at the time. Um, So it was really driven by being able to provide for myself and what I saw for myself, uh, a family in the future.
0: Sadly, your dad died just a few years into his retirement and he suffered from some ailments, heart disease and cancer. Can you help us understand what are some of the unique demands on a firefighter's body that can wear you down and that Uh, you have to be mindful of? Yeah, so
2: um, I always try to tell firefighters to control the controllable, right? Uh, As a firefighter, you can't control sleep deprivation, hazardous environments or stress of the job. So we talk about sleep deprivation. In D.C., we run roughly about 230,000 calls a year. Um, and that's gone up every year that I've been on the job. When I first came to the job, it was 160,000 calls. And it just went up probably about 10,000 calls every year. So you figure 230,000 calls amongst 33 firehouses, four shifts, that's a lot of calls being run. Um, and some days you go, you're not going to go to sleep. It's 24 hours. So we, we are working a 24-hour job. So there's days I've been to work that I didn't sleep one hour at all. And if I did sleep, it was broken, a broken sleep pattern. So we know that's not healthy for the human body to not gain rest because if you're doing that over a course of a 24-hour period, probably when you get home, you may crash, but for your three days off, it throws your sleep pattern off. So you're just done. And you do this over the course of 25 years till you're able to retire. So we talk about sleep deprivation. We talk about hazardous environments. Um, so like I said, you are called to run into a building that everybody and everything is running out of you have to wake up out of your sleep, you have to slide the pole, you have to get your gear on, and a lot of this is done over um, because of your adrenaline. You're just rushing because you have a duty to uh, serve the public, to save someone, and not just to save someone, but ultimately to uh, help those who are in need uh, and potentially help yourself, right? So um, because fire is a threat to us all. So you have your hazardous environments, and then you have stress of the job. So there are things on this job or on the fire department that you will only see on movies. I've seen some things that I, I can't unsee. How you how you determine to um, view those things and kind of decompress after work, it, it matters, right? Because these things can weigh on you heavy, whether it's uh, doing CPR on somebody's grandmother or doing CPR on somebody that you know or seeing somebody that you know shot. Or a baby dying; these things can potentially weigh on you very heavy. And because you were the last person to touch this this person, you and you gave everything that you have. You can sometimes believe that you could have done more, or you've done something wrong. Um, so um, I choose to go to a savior. Some people choose to go to a substance. It just depends on how you determine how you want to handle this situation. So those things are really attacking the health of firefighters, mentally and physically. So we, in in order to combat heart disease and cancer, which my dad struggled with, we try to look at diet and exercise. Um, and, And at the same time, share the message of love and share the love of Christ while doing that.
0: Let's add another complicating factor and that's race, that firefighters also include Black men and we know that Black men disproportionately suffer from heart disease as well as cancer. How do you think about that in the context of maintaining a healthy diet and also thinking about some of the stressors that you face on the job?
2: No, no doubt. I mean, I mean, you look at our culture alone, right? So I say my dad, I, I grew up fortunate, I had a lot more than a lot of my friends, but we still ate fast food every day. It's five wings and French fries every day, Rock Creek sodas, because um, we're living in food deserts, right? I, d- I didn't know anything about Whole Foods or Fresh Fields until I went to Wilson, right? I went all the way uptown and I'd never seen anything like that before. Not in Northeast at least, um, but it was, when I grew up, it was Long John Silver's, we went to Carl's Subs, or we went to um, High's right there, or, I mean, that's, that's what we was eating every day or we'd go to the curry out. And I mean, I can remember on Sundays during Redskins games, we getting 50 wings from the curry out from China, America every Sunday. So when we're talking about those things, the exposure of healthier foods just wasn't there for us. Um, and, and a lot of people, a lot of Black men that's on the job, they grew up the same way that I grew up. Now, we may be, have been exposed to Um, steaks and and nicer food, lobsters, but overeating or overindulging in any of these things just because you have access to them, there was just not that idea of, or the education of how to eat healthier while our counterparts were growing up on farms. They were growing their own foods, and we had that at one time. My dad was from South Carolina, but once you come to a city like D.C. and things are drastically changing, you don't have um, access to those fresh vegetables so you start eating canned vegetables which are high in sodium and uh, I always like to say that people say well high blood pressure runs in my family I say well that's a possibility but also bad eating habits run in your family too so which one is it because we know uh, bad eating habits can lead to high blood pressure so let's not just say because high blood pressure runs in your family you just stop there how about we we get back to kind of planting and growing our, our own food and things of that nature, which we did when we were in South Carolina and Georgia and things things that our grandparents did. I remember my grandmother having a, a bush green beans in her backyard, but that's kind of have, has left our culture. But I love to see that we're kind of going back to that. So um, it affects us totally different on the job than it does some of our counterparts because they have access to different things that we haven't had access to for a long time.
0: this tragedy of your dad dying and then you're also seeing this diet I think recur at the firehouse so let's kind of set the stage a little bit and talk about when you go to the firehouse what kind of food were folks eating and why was that problematic
2: oh man um so let me let me say this that eating at the firehouse can be a great thing, it's great camaraderie. It's one of the moments that you really kind of build that brotherhood or sisterhood. Um, you're all sitting around the table. That's that, That's the one time where everybody can kind of come together, right? Because in the fire service, you have people from different nationalities. You have um, people who think different politically, uh, different religions. But that one time, that's where we find solace in those meals after running a lot, of, a ton of calls, right? So um, there's a lot of good meals um, and just the, like I said, the fellowship of sitting around a table is great, but the meals aren't so good for you. So when I first became a firefighter nine years ago, um, I was health conscious already. I was eating salads for lunch. I wouldn't eat uh, bacon, egg and cheese for breakfast or sausage, baby. I wasn't really into that. When I first came into the firehouse, I wanted to be a part of my crew because eating with the firefighters or eating with your firehouse is a big thing that's a it's part of the tradition everybody eats together right but i couldn't continue eating on knowing that it was to the detriment of my health so i kind of stepped back i kind of just was like you know though these meals may taste good they're not necessarily good for you i'm knowledgeable about the struggle that my father had. I, I was there when he struggled the nine years after he retired. Being as though we don't have a lunch break in the fire service, you will see a lot of quick meals. It will, it will be a lot of frozen pizzas. It will be um, sandwiches, ham sandwiches for lunch. It will be bacon or sausage for breakfast and then pork chops for dinner. And plus we're paying for our own meal. So everybody chips in 10 to $20. We all go to the store, we buy the meal and then we we all cook it together. But I'm not a big pork fan, so you can't pork me out all day. I'm not trying to eat pork every meal of the day. I just decided that I was going to be out on meals after a while. And, and it probably ruffled some feathers. Um, and it didn't help that I was one of uh, I was one of the few Black guys in my house. I didn't want to seem as if, oh, I don't want to eat with y'all because this is what it is. It was just that I really wanted to be health conscious and I wanted to make my stand on that. And I think while some people may have thought it was me being probably a bit of a prima donna or being bougie or whatever you want to call it, they now see that that has led into something uh, that they probably didn't see at the moment, uh, which is food on the stove.
0: So the name food on the stove has a double meaning. Yes. And reading about the organization um, many fire events are caused by food being left on the stove yeah. and the uh, negative impact on your health is also caused by the food that you cooked on the stove. So can you tell us a little bit about how you decided to found the organization? And then Aaron is going to ask you a few more questions about how you work with, um, with your fire crew.
2: Okay. Um, well, first off, let me say God gave me the vision, right? Um, he gave me the vision due to my experiences in life. I, I, I find the connection of what my father struggled with and me being there and seeing that and then leading me to be a fire, firefighter. I'm actually assigned to the same truck company that my father was assigned to. And we can imagine what it was like in 1956 um, of a black man coming into a, probably a predominantly, not just white firehouse, but a predominantly white um, counterparts on the job um so we we dealt with different things while i um may not wanted to eat the meals um per se they didn't want him to eat with them in some cases right so our struggles were a little bit different yet um he never allowed those situations to make him bitter. he was actually at the firehouse doing um the riots after Martin Luther King was assassinated and 14th Street was burning. That was one of the things he always used to talk about that he had to be there when everything on 14th Street was burning uptown. And for now, for me to be a part of the legacy of being assigned to that same truck company is a very proud thing. Um, but seeing him struggle with that, me going into the firehouse that he was in, and I saw how people were eating. Um, I wanted to do something to change that. Um, and so I decided to start food on the stove. And as you said, it's a double entendre. It's the number one way to structure fire, start by food being left on the stove unattended. So I decided to take the same name and the phrase that we hear all the time. We will run fire calls. And when I first came on the job, I would hear the officer say, he would run to the top floor and say, oh, it's just food on the stove. And it just rung a bell with me. And I was like, well, why don't we pay more attention to the food that's on our stove that's ultimately killing us. It just had a nice ring to it. So I called my graphic designer and, and let me tell you this, God doesn't waste anything. Cause I used to be a party promoter prior to being a firefighter. So all the marketing and promotions that I was used to doing then, I just tied it into what I'm doing now, right? And so I called the graphic designer that used to make my flies when I was managing EU and used to throw parties with listen. He, he made my, uh, my logo, which is what you see on my shirt today, little small plug. Um, uh, he made my logo and I said, um, I'm gonna start this organization. I wanted to be a nonprofit organization. And, uh, he was like, all right, cool. And I don't think he really caught the vision at the time. I don't think anybody really caught it. They was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna take the money that I got. And I'm gonna go buy some food and go feed the firefighters. They was like, you gonna do what? So I went to the farmer's market. I bought f- five grass fed steaks, some broccolini and some sweet potatoes. Right. And I took it to the firehouse. And at the time, and this kind of ties into resilience. I was going to hire a chef. Um, I was going to hire. I got a nutritionist and a cameraman to come to the firehouse so they could show and document this day. I had it all planned out in my mind and everybody canceled. on me. And at mm-hmm. that moment, I felt defeated. But I said, you know what? I'm going to take the food to the firehouse anyway. And um, I'm going to just donate and then give it to them. And I was at, when I went back home, I was like, nothing went right. But I said, you know what? I'm going to try it again next month. And next month it clicked. And what ended up happening was firefighters aren't used to anybody giving them anything. They're the ones in the community who are helping everybody else. But my job was who serves those who serve everybody else. That was going to be our role. That was what God was calling us to do. So the crew that I fed the next month said, well, hey, we want to make a donation to what you got going on. And I said, well, look, I don't want to take your money, but if you do, I want you to choose the next firehouse that you want us to serve, but it can't be in your area on your shift. So now we're going to make it so that you're serving somebody that you normally don't work with. So they paid it forward to the next firehouse. And then they that firehouse paid it forward to the next firehouse. And we were able to say, look, this fire this meal was donated by the firehouse in Southeast. And they would say, all right, well, we donating the meal to this person. And it was just, it ended up being a real brotherhood, sisterhood thing. And um, now we have food on the stove.
1: When did you realize that, oh, I'm on something and this is something I can really push and make work? Uh,
2: when God showed me, like, I really believed it, though. I, he, the, the thing about it was he showed me the ending from the beginning. Right. Because if he would have shown me how hard it would have been, I would have quit. Right. Because it it wasn't easy to go into a firehouse. I was new on the job like rookies tend to not do stuff like this. Like they could have been like, you don't have no time on the job. Who are you to try to get somebody to try to eat differently? Like. Right. So at the time that I was doing it, I don't think I had more than five years on the job. It could have rubbed some people the wrong way, but it was well received. Um, It's it's a scripture in the Bible that says that when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. Right. And uh, I I find that to be true in my own calling. that I know is everybody doesn't like what I'm doing. But at the end of the day, um, that's not going to stop us from advancing the kingdom of God here on earth. So the people canceling on me that day, that was just to deter me to see if I was going to quit. And then the Mm -hmm. next day it kind of took off. One of the, I would say, highlights of what we've done was when we built the gym, we renovated a gym for Lieutenant Kevin McCray. He was a 24-year veteran on DC 5 EMS. He was the 100th member to die in the line of duty. Uh, He died from a heart attack. And when I heard about that, um, I didn't know Lieutenant Kevin McCray very well. I met him in passing a few times, but God had called me to um, as clear as day, and I can remember this as clear as day, to build a gym inside of his, the firehouse, which he served at. Um, Now, mind you, I typed a special report, which we do in the fire service when you're requesting something or you want something. And um, I sent it up to the chief and I didn't, I didn't get a response and uh, I wanted to build this gym. Now I went to the chief without any money in my bank account, but I wanted to build this. I want to renovate this whole gym. All I knew was that God was calling me to build a gym. Now, this gym ended up costing us $60,000. If the chief knew that I didn't have $60,000 to build a gym, he would have told me no. But uh, I remember I was running on the treadmill, and I didn't get a response from the chief. And um, I heard God say, um, go down there and talk to him. And I, I was like, "Go down. you don't just go down to the chief's office and go talk to him. Like, There's a chain of command. It's a paramilitary organization. So there's a chain of command. Me as a firefighter, I don't just walk into the chief's office. So um, the chief's office is down on 14th and U Street. And um, I, I said, all right, so I put my clothes on and I, I rolled down to 14th and U Street. And I said, Lord, I remember praying. I said, Lord, I could never find parking on 14th and U. If I find a parking space on U Street, I know this is you it was a apartment space right there as soon as I pulled up. I, I mean, right in front of the building. I pulled up right in front of the building. And I went in there, I talked to the secretary and she was like, well, Chief Dean is in a meeting right now. And I was like, my name is Jonathan Tate. I would like to see the chief. She said, you just thought you, you she was like, do you have an appointment? And I was like, no, she was like, you just thought you was gonna come have a meeting with the fire chief. And I was like, and this is exactly what I told her. And Miss Scott, I love it to death, but she swears up and down she ain't say this. I said, yes, I believe in da- divine intervention. And she said, well, okay. She was like, well, he's in a meeting. Let me go back. You'll probably have to reschedule. She came, she went back there five minutes later. She came back out and said, well, Mr. Tate, actually the chief wants to talk to you. And I said, well, okay. Then I kind of relaxed back in my seat. I knew it was God. At that point we went in and he gave me the okay to do the gym. And uh, we raised $30,000 and food on the stove matched the 30,000. We were able to build a um, a $60,000 gym inside of a firehouse that's just still there today that the firefighters get to work out in. That's amazing.
1: That is amazing. That's an awesome yeah. story. Tell us some of the, the results you've seen health-wise. It's um, so like health-wise and uh, nutrition-wise and just people ch- changing their habits. Uh, what what type of impact have you seen there?
2: I can't really put a number or any data because when I started Food on soap I didn't start it as I was just a person that God gave a vision to that I'm honor you know that he would choose me to even uh to do something like this what i can say is what we're trying to do is change a culture right and typically that doesn't happen overnight the fire service has been gone for so long and has been eaten the same way for so long i think people in order and I, and I take this from from what i see jesus do right before he presented salvation to somebody he met their needs they had to know that he actually cared about them, right? So before he uh, presented salvation or said, go and be saved, he would heal the blind, he will feed the hungry, he would heal the sick, um, give blind their sight. Um, so what we want to do first to show firefighters that we love them and that we care for them is that we want to extend the love of Christ to them. So we want to feed them, right? And we're feeding them a healthier meal, right? We want to expose, I think exposure is, is uh, super important. So we want to expose them to quinoa instead of brown rice, give you some different options. We want to expose you to vegetables that you may have been overcooking your whole life and that's the reason that you think they're nasty, like okra. I love okra. I eat okra probably two, three times a week. But the first thing you'll hear is that it's slimy. We want you to know that um, the average serving size of, of uh, red meat is four ounces, the size of your palm. But everywhere you go, there's a 16-ounce steak on the menu. right? So you're eating... Four times the amount. So I think the education is important. So what we want to do is just expose them, right? And I think we'll get to the point where data, um, data will will come. We we are partnering with a uh, a company who is going to help us with that. One of the biggest things that I've heard uh, was a lieutenant who lost seventy pounds, and what he said was, "I want to thank you that letting me know that health, eating healthy doesn't have to eat, doesn't mean eating grass every day." right? Because as soon as you say something about eating healthy, it means I have to be a vegan. No, we're not saying that. We're saying that portion control is important. We want you to know how to read a food label. Like we always look at this front label, but what about this back label? Why is it even here? And they say, oh, well, this salad dressing is 130 calories. And I say, that's per serving size. Are you running laps around your salad? Or are are you actually using the two tablespoons that they're recommending you to use. So we want to educate them, and I think that is uh, that's going over very well. The one thing that I can say is that uh, we get an opportunity to serve, and that that's where where I think we'll really be able to get there. People are more receptive when they when they know that you can.
1: Absolutely.
0: Establishing a nonprofit and leading a nonprofit is not a simple undertaking. And earlier you mentioned that that was not exactly what you thought you were going to be doing, filing paperwork, managing programming, fundraising. What's been really surprising about being in this leadership role? That
2: I still don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think think that um, allowing God to lead has been super important to this. Uh, every time that I think that I have to do it all, he shows up. Um, So I started by using my own money. I would work overtime and take my overtime money. And this is why I love my wife to death, because she never once said anything. She sacrificed uh, trips and vacations and a, a lot of things that I could take my overtime money and spend it on these people who may not even say thank you, or don't even care anything about you, or know nothing about your your family, or may not even give you anything, right? But that's the love of Christ, that's who Christ is, right? So um, not once did we have to go out here and seek any type of funding. We've been sponsored by Giant, United Healthcare, um, uh, Verizon, and as of recent, Amazon Web Services, right? And we'll be announcing that soon, but not once did I reach out to any of them. They all reached out to me and they've crossed my path as I was following God, they they fell into my path. And while the the journey has been difficult, it's been a learning experience, right? It's, I don't know what I'm doing, but as I continue to follow Christ and I continue to believe, things just tend to kind of fall into place. Um, and that doesn't, I'm not saying that that I can sit back and not do nothing, but I'm gonna do as much as I know how to do. And one of the gifts that I know how to do is marketing and promote. And if you go to our website, one of the things that we've done is document our efforts in trying to. So we bring you inside of the firehouse and allowing the viewer to see that has allowed people to say, you know what? I can see where my money is going. I see the food being placed on our table. And if you see me, I'm in there. I literally take it as an opportunity to serve. So we're not just giving you food. We're going to wash your dishes while we're here, too. It's the most humbling thing for me to be able to do, because um though you may see me as a founder of this organization and you see the names behind it, it reminds me that I'm still called to serve. And I think I want to keep myself in that posture to never see myself as a founder of an organization that can sit back. I think that's what I'm called to do. I'm called to serve. So um, humility has made my job a lot easier. Knowing that I don't know what I'm doing has made my job a lot easier. That way I just depend a little more on God.
0: dad were with you now what job would he have at food
2: on the stove if my dad was with me mm-hmm. right telling me what to do thinking, <laughs>
0: thinking that he i could come
2: up with it he'd think he's my boss um but being a chief as he is like um like i said my father when he was on the job his thing was he was the first person to do the fire department parade uh so they used to have a fire department parade where they would bring all the fire trucks and the kids would love it so anything dealing with community outreach or community engagement. That's what he was all about. Um, So seeing me do this, um, that's right up his alley. He's going to say, hey, how how do we get this into the community, right? How do we branch this out, bring this outside of the firehouse? So being as though food on the stove is a double entendre and it's about uh, structure fires as well, uh, I think a little bit of that community effort resides in me. So what we want to do is not just keep it in the firehouse. We want to tie it to the community. So now we're looking at ways to make sure that our seniors have working smoke detectors um, and combination smoke detectors to really bring it kind of full circle of this, meet, this meaning. So one of the things we're going to do for Thanksgiving, the last few Thanksgivings, we uh, delivered turkeys to all the firehouses in the Washington, D.C. area, which is 99 firehouses. So we delivered to... D.C., Prince George's County, Arlington and Alexandria. But this year, what we want to do is we want to buy a senior citizen a brand new stove and we want to make sure that we go in there and have all working smoke detectors throughout the house. Because not only does that help firefighters kind of cut down on potential risk and potential hazards, but now we get to touch the community a little bit. To make sure that our seniors are well taken care of if they still like to cook they have a brand new stove in there and we make sure that they have the work and smoke detectors and we educate them on food safety
0: so how can people support this incredible organization that you're building and are there other things that are coming next that you want to tell us about
2: yeah so um i used to have a problem asking for money right um, <laughs> i no longer have that problem just, you got 99 <laughs> problems asking for money yeah, one. <laughs> that's a one <beautiful> <laughs> I, I, I used to feel bad like i i've never come up asking anybody for anything i've i'm used to kind of doing on my own but uh i think one thing god has shown me is that this isn't something that you're going to be able to do this is way bigger than you right and i think it keeps me from getting my head too big and think that i built something on my own. And I was listening to a TED talk, I can't even remember who it was, but she was basically saying that I shouldn't feel ashamed about, she was telling people who were, she was talking about fundraising. She was like, you shouldn't feel ashamed about asking for money because people are, you're allowing people to be a part of something great, a mission that is, is great. And that kind of changed my mind about fundraising because if it was up to me, I would just keep spending my own money and my wife probably end up at, at some point, be like, look, this ain't gonna work. And one of my prayers was that God will make food on the soul self sustainable so that we wouldn't keep having to use our own money. So, uh, one of the things that we need is financial support, monetary donations. Uh, um, I think that helps us to continue to put meals, healthier meals on firehouse tables. One of the unique things, if you don't mind, if I share this, uh, about resilience is as I shared with you, we would take a chef into the firehouse and, um have the chef prepare the meal. But when COVID started, that kind of got cut out because we could no longer come into the firehouse. So we had to figure out a way, what can we do to still reach out to the firefighters, still promote our message? So what we did was at that moment, firefighters were having a tough time getting food uh, because of the limitations that um, grocery stores were putting on the amount of food that you can buy. You couldn't buy more than two packs of chicken or two steaks because people were kind of hoarding food and they wanted to make sure that everybody was getting food. So one of the things we did was we partnered with 28 different restaurants to make sure uh, firefighters were getting food because what, what was happening was firefighters were taking food from their own homes, bringing it in so they, they can make sure they could eat at work because how was you going to eat, feed 15 firefighters but you can only buy two packs of chicken? The people at the store wasn't really thinking that, oh, these are firefighters, they still have to eat. And if you shopped on your day off and didn't have your uniform on, they still, they weren't budging on that. Uh, so we got a donation from a friend of mine owns a a burger spot, uh, on Capitol Hill and then Ruth Chris gave 400 steaks. And then we just had all these restaurants kind of chip in. It was a really a a community effort, but in doing so, we had to figure out what were we going to do. And at that point, the, the message wasn't so much about health as it much, as much as it was about meeting a need. Um, and it was about caring that you had something to eat while you were still out here on the front line. Uh, but we still had to figure out how do we continue to pull, uh, push our message. So if you ever heard of Blue Apron or Hello Fresh, um, what we did was we started our own called Farm to Firehouse, which is a meal delivery service, which we deliver these boxes to the firehouse. We were funded by John Ford. They donated us twenty thousand dollars. We were able to donate. Uh, 2,000 meals and our first recipe was Peruvian chicken, roasted sweet potatoes and coleslaw. It was a 640 calorie meal. We packaged it up at a local um, uh, food restaurant um, and we would deliver every Friday to the firehouse um, in DC, to different firehouses in DC. Um, And so for every $10 we raise, it goes to the protein, produce and packaging of the meal. Um, To expand that mission a little bit more, what we did was we created an app. That allows us to now, allows the firefighters to order that same box or different recipes and we deliver it to them on Fridays. So when you donate the food on the stove, if you donate $10, every $10 goes to the protein, produce and packaging of that meal and allows us to put healthier meals on firehouse tables. And it allows us to expand outside of the D.C. area. We have all the staffing uploaded into our app and we'll be beta testing it in the next month. And that's what Amazon Web Services has uh, donated to. They'll be covering our beta testing for. Them. So ten
0: dollars is
2: the magic number. Ten dollars is the magic number, but a hundred is a lot better too. <laughs> <laughs> look, no, you can right. feed one or You can feed ten. It's yeah. up We're not turning anything down. So we're grateful for every dollar that is given.
0: But more dollars. Is for better. more dollars. <laughs> more dollars equals more healthy chicken.
1: Well, to keep it moving and to sometimes have to bounce back, we know we have to take care of ourselves. Uh, We recently, Rhonda and I recently spoke to Pastor Heber out of Baltimore in in one of our previous conversations, and he advised that you always take uh, practice self-care for you and your community. You're a husband, a father of two daughters. Well, Wait, am I right? Of two, <laughs> daughter yeah, a, daughter a daughter and a son. One daughter, one son. Yeah, I was gonna give you two. Daughters. I got two daughters.
2: Uh, <laughs> hey, she, uh, she's time enough for two. This might as well. Oh, you might as well say she's two people in one.
1: I understand very well, very well. Uh, and I love. We just. I just got hip to uh, your Facebook feed. The posts of your daughter. They're super cute, man. I, I love the little comments and everything. That's my dad. <laughs> but uh, can you talk about how being a husband and father? Helps you to bounce back, helps you to be resilient.
2: Oh man, uh, it's the biggest blessing that God has given me. Uh, I don't think this vision is possible, um, without my wife. Uh, she has really held it down for me. Uh, you know, people always say the scriptures, He who finds a wife finds a good thing, but the part B to that is and obtains favor to the Lord from the Lord, and she is my source of favor. So I have to make sure that. I always kind of um, compare it to if I had a straw and that was the only way I can get my juice, I wouldn't damage that straw at all. I would keep it in perfect condition, right? And I think that's God's call for me to um, make sure that I do not damage that source of favor um, and to make sure I take care, well care of her, good care of her. Um, but I lose sight of that at times, right? Um, and I, I'm learning as I go, like I think one of the things I'm learning in this season is that anything can become an idol anything, right? Even what God has called you to can become an idol. And there are moments uh, where I lose sight of that. Like food on the stove is like one of my kids. I see it so clearly. I see the vision so clearly. I love it. Um, I feel most at peace when I'm doing that, right? And at times it can be to the detriment of my family. It can be to, I can neglect that which, because I'm so focused in on that and uh but in those moments what i realized too is that's when i'm trying to do it on my own that's when i'm um leaning to my own understanding and that's when i'm trying to figure it all out and god's like this is too big for you you can't figure it out like i've called you to this and the only way that you can do this is by staying attached to me if you go and try to do this on your own you're gonna you're gonna lose sight of the bigger picture so in saying that, um, I think it's important that I stay and I stay close to the source, right? I think if God is my source, I'm gonna always be a resource, but not just to those um, who the mission is, is for. It's really about my family. I can't show them that I'm this man of integrity and I'm serving them, but my home is falling apart, right? This, that should be a reflection of what's, what my relationship with God is first, and then what my relationship is in the home. And they receive those benefits of me being in, in right alignment, right? Um, but I don't always get that right. So I'm gonna be honest with y'all. I don't always get that right and I'm and I'm learning and um, I'm getting better and better and better at it each and every day.
1: Well, as we close out, we, we love music here at the DAP Project and we love to ask our guests, what music is is keeping them resilient, keeping them going. So what what's in heavy rotation for you?
2: I don't know, man. I've been a, I've been a square for a little bit because I'd be in a car quiet. I'd be listening to my own thoughts, thinking about the next move. Um, <laughs> but I listen to a lot of gospel music. I, I mean, just like food, I think what you're taking in will end up showing. There's a lot of things that my flesh like, a lot of things that my ears like. I tend to ride quiet most of the time. When I'm running on a treadmill or running outside, I'm listening to some gospel music, to be honest with you. And I'm listening to a lot of worship music. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm in the car, I'm listening to some sermons. That, that's what's been feeding me right now. I think in the season I'm in, man, I just need to feed myself the word, feed myself positivity. Because one thing I will share is that I like what comes with being food on the stove, right? When I was throwing parties, there was a lot of attention that came with it. And I don't wanna fall back into that space of thinking it's about me. People like like to be acknowledged. I'm not even gonna say people. I like to be acknowledged. I like the fact of what comes with doing good things, but that can't be where I find my value. And I gotta find my value in Christ. But now he's allowed me to do something that I love, but it's to his glory.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. It was a delight to talk with you and to hear you no, Thank talking. you for
2: having me. I really appreciate you, Erin. I appreciate you, Rhonda. Thank you for uh, allowing me to be a part of the Dot project um, and being able to share my story and continue to bring awareness to what we're doing in the fire service. I'm super grateful uh, that you all would even think of me to be on here. So thank you.
0: Absolutely.
1: Right. We appreciate you as well, brother. All
0: right, we'll yeah. see you in those social streets. Take care. All right, take, all right. take care. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our conversation with Jonathan Tate, firefighter and founder of Food on the Stove. You can follow Food on the Stove at Twitter with
2: Food on the Stove underscore. On Instagram with Food on the Stove DC. Facebook with Food on the Stove.
0: Also, if you enjoy listening to this story on resilience, definitely tap into the others. You can subscribe to The DAP Project on Apple Podcasts. Hear from entrepreneurs, politicians, and pastors about how they took an L and bounced back. Shout out to Big Sean.
1: Next up with TDPB reading is the book The State Must Provide by HBCU grad and journalist from The Atlantic Magazine, Adam Harris. While we are still processing our August read, Chocolate City, we will now take a slight pivot from race, justice, and politics in Washington, D.C., to Race, Justice, and Politics in Higher Education. Grab your copy of The State Must Provide and join us to discuss the book with the author on September 30th.
0: TDP Tribe, remember that resistance is a highway with many lanes and we hope you find yours.
1: Take care, folks.